What up guys? All right, today I have a very special episode. I know so many of you, just like me, have struggled with setting boundaries, getting confident and really standing up for yourself when you feel insecure. So much of my life has been about people pleasing and just saying yes when I really wanted to say say no, holding my tongue when someone's disrespected me. And in my seasoned years, I have really adopted a mindset and a skill set that has allowed me to feel good about myself and stand up for myself when someone really does come at me with utter disrespect. And so today, guys, I go deep in how I set boundaries, the importance of the boundaries, and then how on earth we stand up for ourselves in relationships or dating with our families and anywhere that you find someone just crosses the damn freaking line. So this is a very tactical episode guys with very concrete tips on what I've used in my life. So hopefully this one is fire for you too. Now without further ado let's just dive in to this episode of Women of Impact with me Lisa Villeneuve and how to stop people pleasing and stand up for yourself. And before we jump in, guys, if this episode brought you value, the one thing I do ask for is to please share it and drop in a review and rate this episode. You have no idea how much that actually means to me and how that spreads the Women of Impact ethos, which is, homie, you got this and I'm with you all the way. When you're being disrespected, treated like a dormer, or someone is just blatantly crossing a boundary, do you freeze? Go quiet. What if your partner says something that brings you emotionally to your knees and yet you don't utter a word? Whether it's a friend, a boyfriend, your family, teachers or bosses, we often just stay quiet. Whether it's because we don't want to ruffle any feathers or because we're people pleasers or because we don't have the confidence to be honest in case of backlash, God forbid. Or we don't even think we have a choice to say no or put up boundaries. So guys, what happens? We often just stay in silent desperation. But the truth is, no matter what is holding you back, speaking up, having the freaking confidence to lay out what your lines are, where your non-negotiables are, and what your boundaries are, are the most important things you can do in a relationship. In any relationship, Otherwise, you will forever be on that hamster freaking wheel where you feel less than. That hamster wheel where you feel unworthy, where you feel weak, where you feel insignificant and you will forever be pushed around. Unless you figure out how to set that line and say no. And so guys, the very first thing, the very first thing of taking full freaking ownership and being a badass when you're in any type of relationship is... Face it, you're going to piss people off. Guys, when you feel invalidated, when you feel freaking worthless, when someone is pushing you around, when you don't feel valued, well, perhaps this really is because you aren't absolutely speaking up for yourself and having your own back because you're avoiding pissing someone off. Let's face it, when you piss someone off, it makes you sometimes feel badly about yourself. It makes you go inwards. It makes you think, oh my God, what have I done or said to him that makes him so mad? We want to be liked, especially in a relationship. Jesus, of course you do. You want your partner to freaking love you. You want them to be in awe of you. So the very last thing that any of us, God forbid, want to do is rattle the cage, rustle the feathers of a partner. But what can end up happening is, guys, you can feel worthless. You can feel like you're being pushed around. You can feel like you're not standing up for yourself. 
And here's the thing: your partner may not even mean to. They may not even mean to push you around. But if you're not standing up for yourself, if you're not saying your boundaries, if you're not saying no, then how the hell are they going to know if they're crossing a boundary or not? So it's like a front door. You have a front door of your house so that people can go up to and knock. Imagine I didn't have a front door. Would you accept that I can get mad if people just walk in? No. You'd say, well, Lisa, of course people are going to walk in. You need to have a front door in order for them to knock on. That's what a boundary is, guys. You're putting up a front door. It's not a sign that says keep out. It's a front door that allows someone to knock. So that's why having boundaries is so imperative, and you have to just accept. You're gonna piss them off. It's going to happen. Now, you may not be used to setting boundaries, and you may not be used to the fact that now you're pissing people off because you've spent so much of your life as a people pleaser. It's literally the opposite. You've spent your whole life making sure that people love you, making sure that people really, really accept you. And now, what? Yes, guys. Yes, my homie. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to actually flip that. I'm asking you to be okay, to learn. To be okay with the fact that how you're going to now show up so that you can freaking be a badass and own it is going to mean you have to accept that some people are going to get annoyed, that some people are not going to like it, and you know what? That's okay. It's okay. It is not your job to make sure that everyone freaking likes you, but it is your job to have your own damn back. And what a surprise! Yes, I'm gonna say you can't control them. You can't control how they're gonna respond, no matter how sweet you say it, no matter how wonderful the words, no matter how gracious you are with setting this boundary, no matter how polite and lovely and down to earth you try to do it, you still may get someone to go, "What the hell?" Or your partner to be like, "What? I don't understand. Why are you changing your?" You're changing. That's what you're gonna hear some people say. And you're just gonna have to embrace that because right now I'm saying you've got a choice. Your choice is accept where you are right now and embrace that you're gonna be pushed around, that you don't stand up for yourself, that you don't have your own back, and you just accept it. Or what I encourage you to do is to start implementing things and ways that you can have your own back and just accept that a lot of people are not going to be okay with it. Those are your options. Be a people pleaser your whole life. But never feel like you. Never feel like you're taking ownership of your life. Never feel like a freaking badass that you want to be, or be the badass. Step in, step into your own. Own who the hell you are, and just embrace that people, not everybody, are going to love you for it. And that, my friend, is okay. Tip number two: Let them down. Oh God, I know, I know. The word disappoint. Let's face it. If your parent turns around to you and is like, "I'm so freaking mad at you," it sucks. But you know that they're going to get over it. But when your parent says, "I'm disappointed in you," oh, oh, breaks my heart. Literally, my mom could be red faced and mad at me, or she could say. I'm disappointed, and the disappointed guys is going to stab me in the heart way more than being mad. So, if we all know that the fact that we disappoint people is actually a really hard thing to embrace, that's why I'm saying you need to embrace it. So, there's two folds to this. Number one, embrace that you want to be accepted, that you want to be loved. That is okay. Guys, honestly, that is okay. I've just accepted. Yes, that is absolutely what I want. What I want, 
but you better believe I'm not going to have that as a result of me betraying myself, of me not being of me not making the decisions that are right for me long term and me not having the life that I actually want. So while I don't want my parents to be disappointed with me, while I definitely don't want my partner to be disappointed in me, the only thing worse than people being disappointed in me is me being disappointed in myself that I didn't have my own back. And I'm going to tell you a really freaking strong story. Okay, my sister who is so big-hearted, wants to make everyone happy. She doesn't want her parents to be disappointed. She doesn't want her um, her boyfriend to be disappointed. She doesn't want her potential in-laws to be disappointed. And so as the pressure starts to come on more and more, where people are asking, when are you going to get married? When are you, You've been dating for a long time. Well, you're not getting any younger. All these messages. So over time, she decides to get married to the guy that she was with for a long time. Now, we all think, oh, yay, she's in love. This is amazing. But what we didn't realize was, she didn't actually want to marry him. She felt the cultural pressure and the expectations that came along with being a Greek woman and being part of a Greek family. And here's the thing, guys. This this can slowly become a snowball effect. You just, maybe you say yes to, all right, I'm going to introduce you to my family because you have the pressure. Maybe then the next thing, you meet the family and then they start asking, when are you going to get married? And you're like, oh, it's okay. You know, we're thinking about it. Now, before you know it, that pressure, we haven't necessarily stood your ground yet. Maybe you're not feeling, maybe you don't want to get married. But over time, the pressure that you start to get, maybe it's just convenient to be like, fine, you know what? It's not a big deal. Yes, fine. I'll have the parents meet. You know what? It's not a big deal. Yes, I'll now not go to my families. I'll come to your families on New Year's Eve where maybe that's like a very special thing. It's not a big deal because maybe it's not a big inconvenience at the time. But guys, that's where it freaking starts. Because in that one moment, maybe it's not inconvenient. Maybe it's not a big deal. And then maybe you say yes to something. Before you know it, you end up like my sister, who started off with just dating a Greek guy that she liked. And then before she knew it, she ended up marrying the wrong person and not wanting to say anything about it, not wanting to say that actually she didn't want to, not and not wanting to actually correct herself. You know what? I've actually had second thoughts. All because she didn't want to disappoint people. Now, there's beauty and heartbreak in that story. Beauty and heartbreak. Beauty that as a human being, you want, you care about people. As a human being, you don't want to let people down. That is beautiful. And I don't want anyone to come along and tell you otherwise. But on the other side, the heartbreaking thing is, is that she put herself last. It's that she never said, what do I want? What, that is the most important thing. And I'm just sacrificing, sacrificing, sacrificing. And it started off very small, but now here I am. I've sacrificed so much that I'm doing it for everybody else's happiness except for my own. Now take that in a career. You've studied something, now you don't want to disappoint your parents and change career paths. So what ends up happening? You end up being a lawyer for 30 years and you hate reading contracts. And your whole life, maybe where you wanted to be an artist, but you didn't want to disappoint your parents and you so you spent 30 freaking years pulling out your own hair and hitting your head against the wall because you hate contracts. Guys, while this isn't easy, speaking up about your needs is imperative. Telling people where that line is, 
You are the only freaking one that's responsible for making yourself happy. Let me repeat that. You are the only person responsible for making yourself happy. So if you're not going to put yourself first, who the hell is? That, my friends, is exactly why you need to make sure that you set a boundary in your relationship, whether that means you're going to disappoint people or not. Except that not everyone will like you. Guys, I get it. As women, we've been raised to be nice, to be liked. Don't speak until you're, unless you're spoken to because you don't want to upset anyone. All of the above, I'm sure you can relate. But why? Guys, why do we want to be liked by everybody and yet you don't like everybody? Huh? Let me just repeat that. You don't like everyone. That's okay, right? So why on earth do you think that everyone's going to like you? All right, now, if that hit you as hard as that freaking hit me, hopefully, oh my God, you can just let go of like, oh, not everyone is going to like me. And that's okay. It's like the disapproval thing will piss some people off. Stop worrying about, stop pouring your time and energy and worry into whether everyone is going to like you or not. Let's just freaking accept that no, not everyone's going to like you. Is that on them? Yes. Do you care? Maybe. Maybe you do care, but it can still be okay. So I've just accepted. I still want everyone to like me, guys, but I've just accepted that not everyone will. I'm going to take a couple of examples. Let's take fashion, for example. My hair. If you go back, guys, and scroll through some of my YouTube comments, some people will be like, Lisa, what the hell is up with that hair? Or who the hell is this woman and that word, that terrible hair? I get those comments. But I've just accepted. I'm not here to like, for everybody to like me. That isn't my job. As much as I think my hair is freaking cool, people, I accept that not everyone's going to like it. But do I still freaking show up with my braids? Hells yeah. Do I still show up with this freaking watch that sometimes people make a joke about that the watch is wearing me, not I'm wearing the watch? Yes, I still show up with the watch because I've just embraced that if I have to show up to be a freaking badass, to come on here, to really rock it, I've got to feel confident. I've got to feel like a damn badass. And how the hell do I do it? I do it with my braids and my watch. So you can imagine now when it comes into conflict, Lisa, do you want to show up to be the person you want to be or do you want to be liked by everybody? Because once you start asking your questions like that, where it becomes binary, it's like, well, I know that this isn't going to happen. So imagine I try to be liked by everybody. I would have like the most basic hair, the most basic fashion. And you know what would end up happening? People would perceive me as basic. So then there's the other side of it, which is, do you want to show up like a freaking badass? If the answer is yes, play the no bullshit game. Now, what is the no bullshit game, you may ask yourself. I'm glad you asked. The no bullshit game is, if I want to show up to be a badass, no bullshit, what would it actually take for me to do that? Now, you have to answer it for yourself, but here are the things that I literally say in real time. In fact, Eric, our guy here, our production guy, what was I singing before as you were like prepping? Let's get down to business. As he's literally, guys, setting up the camera, he's putting on the mic, there's a couple of people here in the thing. I'm literally standing on set going, let's get down, let's get down to business. And I'm singing it out loud. The team can hear me. And I'm still, like, I've got Andrew over there is laughing. He's trying to laugh in silence because he's like, yes, you were singing that. And, but I still did it. Why? Of course it's embarrassing. Of course I'm sure these guys are thinking, what the hell is she doing? But that's, that isn't my goal. 
that isn't my goal. My goal is to step in front of this camera and be a freaking badass. And so I sing loud. Let's get down to business. No matter who likes it or who doesn't. I've got a terrible voice, by the way. I don't even think I've got a nice voice, but I still do it. My braids, I just said, go back on, on past comments and see how many people like actually hate on my braids. It still surprises me, but yes, they do. But why? But look at me now. I still turn up with my braids. Same with the watch. Same with the jewellery. Same with the pink bright. All of this, guys, are all things that you better believe. I've already had backlash on. I've already had people like frown upon it, make fun of me. And once upon a time, once upon a time, guys, that absolutely stopped me. That's why it took me so long to get in front of the camera. Because all of this, all of these other things are wanting to be liked, all resulted in me not getting in front of the camera, me not doing the thing that I really wanted to do, me not actually leaning, in, leaning into my mission and my passion. And so it wasn't until I just had to embrace that not everyone's going to like me. But that isn't my goal. My goal is to show up like a badass so I can impact you guys. That is my goal. And so once I start to focus on my goal, there's nothing that can derail me. So that's what I want you to do right now. Write out your goal, write out the steps in order to get there, and then write next to it, guys, um, what is the potential thing that you're going to face when you do this thing? So maybe people are going to make fun of you. Okay, write that down. Maybe people are going to make fun of me. What is more important, my goal or people making fun of me? Like actually address all of these issues one by one and then come up with a conclusion. Now, look, I'm not here to tell you what you should do. I'm not here to tell you that you absolutely should do everything that makes it, you know, uncomfortable. And if you want to sing in public, you go ahead and sing no matter what. No, no. If it's actually more important to you for people not to pick on you than to your, to have your goal, go for it. It's not my life. I wouldn't advise it because the, the truth is, is that that's going to lead into profound unhappiness. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. It will. That will lead into you having profound unhappiness. But if that is more important to you than ever facing not being liked, now you've got the choice. That's why I'm here, to give you the options and to be very honest with you guys about the decisions that you're making and the results and knock-on effect that's actually going to have in the future you. So my advice is be yourself, say what you think, don't hold back to make someone else freaking like you. Because let's face it, guys, if they do like you, they're actually liking a fake version of you in a way. And the worst case scenario is if they don't like you, then at least you have 7 billion other people in the world that might. Set boundaries and keep them. That last part, guys, is so imperative. The keeping them part. Because here's the thing. You may set the boundary. You may be so proud of yourself. And then all of a sudden, over time, you start having resentment towards your partner. Now, why do you have the resentment? It's because you haven't stuck to the boundary. You haven't held them accountable to stick to the boundary. And you haven't actually reinforced the boundary. So what ends up happening? The worst thing that can ever happen in a relationship? Contempt and resentment. Those are the two things that when I say what is an axe to a relationship, it is contempt and it is resentment. So those are the things that you want to make sure no matter what you are eliminating for your relationship. How do you do that? You set a boundary and you keep it. So 
How the hell do you assess where the boundary is needed and what it is that you're supposed to actually do in that situation? All right, well, here's a great way of figuring it out, guys. I want you right now to identify where are you noticing that suppressed anger? So it may be, do not dismiss yourself, guys. It may be as simple as every freaking time my partner takes his socks off and leaves them on the floor. All right, write that down. I have suppressed anger over the fact that my partner leaves socks on the floor. All right, that is where you know you need to set a boundary. Or let's say it's basically a flag that says that a boundary is missing or your boundary is super freaking weak. Now, in this situation, guys, there's going to be some nuance to it because the boundary that you're setting isn't dictating their behavior in and of itself. And what do I mean by that? Okay, the expert boundary boss, my girl, Terry Cole, breaks this down so beautiful. She talks about sides of the street. She says boundaries that you set need to be on your side of the street. And bound, but boundaries you cannot set, which a lot of people do this wrong, guys, is they try to set a boundary on the other person's side of the street. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, let's say, for instance, you go to bed at 9 p.m. You need your sleep. You know that you have to get an early night in order to wake up in the morning to crush it. And your partner is a total night owl. Maybe they're not even a night owl. Maybe their work schedule is just very different to yours. And so you go to bed at 9 p.m. You cannot tell your partner to come to bed at 9 p.m. with you, right? That's you telling them their side of the street. But maybe you say, yes, but you know what? The reason why I need them to come to bed with me is because they keep waking me up every time they come home. It's like, all right. Well, now that's what you need to address. It's the fact that their behavior is impacting your side of the street. So you can't tell them, hey, you need to come to bed with me at 9 p.m. Or, hey, you can't stay out until 1 a.m. No, no, that's their side of the street. But what you can do, Terry very eloquently expresses that you can say to them, when you come home, please do not switch the light on. When you come home, I need you to tiptoe and take your shoes off because we've got hardwood floors and I hear your clonking shoes. That now is a boundary you are able to set because they have gone from their side of the street into yours. Once you're able, guys, to differentiate those two things and separate those, now you're able to be able to keep it. Right now, you're able to be able to sustain that boundary. So with everything that I just laid out there, the imperative things are, it is your responsibility. Yes, you, I'm pointing. It is your responsibility to communicate that with your partner, to say, hey, I'm not looking to tell you what to do. You're an adult. You can do it yourself. But right now, your behavior is spilling into my side of the street. And that is now not allowing me to do the things that I need to do in my life. So that is your responsibility to communicate. Remember, they're not a freaking mind reader. So it is your responsibility to say it. It is your responsibility to differentiate the difference between I want you coming to bed at 9 p.m. Or, hey, please don't switch on the light when you do come in. You have to figure out those differences because that will then allow you to stay strong on the boundary that impacts you. You don't always have to see it the same way. Your partner may be like, well, of course I'm going to. I can't believe you go to bed at 9 p.m. Who goes to bed at 9 p.m.? They can have their own opinion. But the one thing they can't have the opinion over is whether it's okay that they wake you up or not. That isn't an opinion. That is a clear boundary that you have requested that they must abide by. It is your responsibility to communicate this because let's be honest. A, they're not a mind reader. B, 
They may not even realize that their behavior is problematic. I'm going to give you another quick story with the exact same situation that I just said. I am horrified. I would be so horrified if Tom walked in and like switched the lights on and woke me up. Why? Because I pride sleep. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. But somewhere I'm going to give you, I'm going to throw my mum under the bus for a second. So my mum's wife is literally one of my best homies on the freaking planet. So anytime I go to England, me and her, we stay up till like four in the morning just talking. Now, when you're staying up till four in the morning, the next day you want to sleep in. So I get up and my mum's wife has been up for hours. And so I remember saying to her, oh my God, you've been up for so long. Like, did you not sleep? She goes, oh no, your mum woke me up. I was like, what? She goes, oh no, it's fine. I was like, what do you mean it's fine? She's like, well, she wanted me to make her breakfast. And I'm like, I'm sorry. She came in the room, switched on the light and actively woke you up so that you could make her breakfast. I was horrified. And she was like, yeah, it's, it's the agreement we've made. So they've got this agreement. So she wasn't horrified. My mum wasn't horrified. But here I am in utter shock that someone would wake you up to make them breakfast. So 
back to my point, guys, is that you may not even realize or they may not even realize their behavior is problematic if you haven't discussed it. My mum and, and her partner uh, are on the same page. So now imagine that same situation. Imagine Tom had that same idea that, of course, it's fine for me to wake you up. You can see why that would make me, Lisa Billu, feel like my boundary is being crossed. But it may not make someone else feel like their boundary is being crossed because they don't care. So they don't even have a boundary there. So for the love of God, people, the whole point of this tip is to articulate the boundary and then refine it and make sure you are staying consistent on holding that boundary and then reaffirming and confirming that the other person, whether it's a partner or a family member or anything else, is also sticking to it. And anytime you see them slip off the boundary it is your responsibility to be kind and with grace to approach them and say hey if you don't mind I would love for you to be able to remember the boundary now when I say it is your responsibility of course there's going to be a line where you go how many times do I need to remind this person because now it's not about them forgetting it's about them actually being disrespectful and not holding to the commitment they've made and oh my god I could do a whole video on that but that is now allows you to have a clearer understanding of is your partner actually there to respect your boundary or there to actually make sure that it just keeps getting demolished every time you set one. And it is your responsibility to encourage them and support them. But the duality is you must also make sure they stay on the path. And if that means sometimes maybe you have to get a little firmer with your language, then so be it. Maybe you have to get a little firmer. And that actually blends my two tips because the next one is don't assume that they mean to be disrespectful. So this is a perfect example, guys, with my mum and her wife. It wasn't that either of them disrespectful, but if they did that to me, I would have interpreted it as being disrespectful. So the, the kind of the four slash five tip number going together is don't assume they mean to. Call people out. Guys, when it comes to not getting pushed around, one of the tactics that drives me freaking nuts that a lot of people do, which is passive aggressiveness. Because let's face it, passive aggressiveness is like a way of someone kind of like putting you down, jabbing at you, but like in a way it was like with a smile. So you can sense that something is wrong, but everything else, the way that they're acting actually seems normal. It really is a way for someone else to put you down. It's like a form of gaslighting, right? Where they're making you question yourself. And it becomes like this really crazy power dynamic between you and the person that you're talking to. Because the person that's being passive aggressive is basically trying to overpower you, but in a way that doesn't give you almost quote unquote permission to push back. And that's the freaking trickiness of the shit that is passive aggressiveness. And so the advice I give you guys, you may not like it, but I'm just going to be honest, call call that shit out. I'm sorry, literally from one day to another, I had people were always passive aggressive with me and it would drive me nuts. It would really upset me. I would be in gas. I was like, am I fucking imagining this shit? And one day, guys, like that, I'm telling you, one day I just decided from now on, the next time someone's passive aggressive with me, I'm just going to call that shit out. Now, this is a way of really feeling like you've got your own back. Because the worst thing, right, is when someone's passive aggressive with you and you don't speak up, you don't say anything. And this becomes now, like I said earlier, a power play, right? They've said something to you where it's overbearing 
and you've really taken it on and you didn't say anything. And so what happens is you walk away from that moment and then maybe an hour later you're like, oh my God, I've got the best comeback. I know what I could have said, but it's always an hour later, right? And then what happens is you end up beating yourself up that you let somebody say that to you. And it becomes a spiral. I don't know about you. I'm just speaking for myself. It ends up becoming this like this circular thing where literally it's like someone was passive aggressive. I wouldn't say anything. I would question myself. I would then realize, oh my God, it was true. They were passive aggressive. I would then beat myself up over the fact that I didn't defend myself. because And I also had a great comeback after that. And I never got a chance to say it. So I found myself in this perpetual cycle. And so I just decided, oh, Next time, I'm just going to call it out. And it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be cruel when you're calling someone. You don't say, hey, fucker, what do you mean by that? No, no. No, no. But you can actually do it in a way that gets your point across and really does, let's face it, let someone know that you're going to call them out, that no way are they going to be able to maybe possibly disrespect you in this underlining way because you're the type of person that is going to address it. About 15 years ago now, I had a neighbor and at the time I was a stay-at-home wife so I was always walking my dogs every day and over time my neighbor started to say hello. I thought, oh, he's so friendly, he's so nice and over time he would like get friendlier and friendlier. He would then cross the street. He would then like, oh, let me take your number. He then started, he's like, just for the neighborhood watch, right? So I'm like, oh, sure. Um, And what he ended up doing is he ever so slightly over time, started to be inappropriate. He starts texting me these things, which is all freaking nuanced, guys, right? It's all nuanced. So it's like on paper, you kind of go, if I just to show you, you'd be like, he just seems like he's being nice. And you're like, yeah, but put this in context with what he just told me the day before, how he like, gently touched my hand, how he said that I was very hot the day before I was coming out my front door. Oh my God, you look so hot, right? Like all these things start to accumulate. But this one text actually doesn't, seems very kind. That's where, if I was to call him out, people are like, Lisa, you're crazy. Lisa, it's just you. You're being sensitive. You're being too sensitive, Lisa. Lisa, you know what? You're taking things too personally. That's the shit that ends up happening. And that's the thing that really started to bother me. The fact that I could feel he was becoming more and more disrespectful and he was really making me feel like I wasn't no longer like kind of standing my ground of what was acceptable and what wasn't as a married woman and he was married. And so over time, I just realized, you know what? No matter how much I try to hint that I'm not interested, no matter how much I try to ignore his texts, no matter how much as he's coming out the door, I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm in a rush, I gotta go. I tried everything, right? As a woman, of course, you try all the polite things. You try all the polite things. And yet, what a surprise he didn't get the boundary. What a surprise he kept crossing it. Because I was trying to hint. And so it wasn't until one day he was just inappropriate with me that I had said to myself, the next time he's inappropriate, I'm going to have a script of what I'm going to say next. Now, this script has to contain words that isn't an insinuation. It's a basically binary. It's you said this and that made me uncomfortable, right? So these are the words I started to formulate so that when I was next in his presence and I said to myself, you are no longer, Lisa, going to let things slide. You're going to call him out. But how do you do it in a way that doesn't make you seem emotional, that doesn't make you seem overly sensitive? Because let's face it, whether you like it or not, guys, the truth is if you are overly emotional and you are showing signs of oversensitivity, they're going to use that against you. 
people will use that against you. And so for me, I try to eliminate all of that and go, how do I show up without all of these things? So I come up with a script. The next time he says something inappropriate, I am going to repeat his words. I'm going to say, that made me feel uncomfortable. Please do not say these words to me again. Now there's no wiggle room. There's no like the, um, these are not the droids you're looking for, right? It's like, there's none of that. There's no magic that they can wave over my, he- my face to make me think otherwise. Because I've literally taken their words and said, this word you said is not appropriate. So that is how you are able to, that's just one little example of how you can take someone that is being super inappropriate, that makes you feel badly about yourself, that makes you feel weak, that makes you feel like you aren't standing up for yourself, and allows you to step in your own, allows you to be very confident with the words that you use with no debate. Because sometimes, guys, there's no freaking debate. When it's someone that is disrespecting you, crossing that line, and you know that now's the time you have to draw that line in stone, there's no debate. Say the words with confidence and walk away. And here are a couple of other things, guys, that are just literally one-liners that you can pull out anytime you need when someone's being super freaking passive-aggressive and you want to call them out on it. Something very simple. Can you actually explain what you meant by that? That's it. It's that simple. Can you explain what you meant by that? Another one. Can you please repeat what you said because maybe I'm interpreting it in the wrong way? Okay. So now you've let them know that, hey, maybe I'm interpreting it in the wrong way. That signals to them that, hey, I've actually taken this as not a good thing. So let, can you repeat it? So you're giving them the opportunity to reword what they're saying and reframe it in a way that now is no longer passive aggressive. But that is how you call them out. That is how you can now feel good. It doesn't have to be aggressive back, right? You can actually feel damn good that you've called them out on it with utter grace and respect. Strap on your boxing gloves and prepare to enter the disapproval boxing ring. Because guys, let's face it, growing up, I always wanted my dad to approve of me. Even now, why am I even lying growing up? I'm 43 and I still want my dad to approve of everything that I do. And I've just admitted it. I've just admitted it. I do want my mum and my dad to approve of everything that I do. But the difference is I've just accepted that they're not always going to. Do you always want for other people, whether it's a partner or a parent or a friend or a work colleague or anyone, to approve of the things that you're doing? Of course. Let's just call a freaking spade a spade. We all ideally ideally want people to approve. But the question is, if they don't, do you allow that to impact how you show up? That's the key. Because I'm always going to be honest and I do want my parents to approve of everything I do, but the truth is they're not going to and so I still need to make decisions for me. When it comes to parents and it comes to partnership, them not approving of something you do, it's like a cut to your freaking soul, right? Like it really is. And I'm just like never going to pretend otherwise. It's like, yes, it's a cut. But like I said, who do you show up to be? And do you allow that disapproval to dictate who you become? Now, you may go, yeah, that's really easy to say. But how do you actually do it? Well, the truth was, is that this exact thing happened with me and getting married to my husband. It was probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make because it was the very first time I actively went against my dad knowing that he adamantly disapproved. So Tom as, uh, went to my dad and asked for his blessing to marry me. And my dad said no. 
Now, in that moment, Tom actually turned around to my dad and said, thank you so much, Andreas, for letting me know. I just want to show you the respect and let you know that I'm still going to ask her. And when Tom asked me, I was like, oh my God, of course, yes, I cry. And then after that, he told me, I just need to tell you, babe, that your dad doesn't want me to marry you. That when I went to ask him for his blessing, he actually said no. That was the first time that I was really faced with doing something that my dad didn't approve of. Like my dad didn't want me to study film, but I managed to convince him. There's a bunch of things right, that you like argue about as parent and child or, you know, whatever. And you end up like convincing them. This was the first time. I was 21 years old. And it was the first time in my entire life that my dad adamantly disapproved of something. And here I was with the pull that it didn't align with me. So much so that I was so crestfallen because I was stuck. I was like, oh my God, what do I do? My dad is like such a huge part of my life. I love him and admire him and respect him and look up to him. I was daddy's little girl. I still sit on my dad's lap at 43. That's how close I am with my dad. And yet here's this man that I actually love more than life itself. And when I look into my future, I see him. When I look at dying on my deathbed, as I'm taking that final breath, who do I want to look over and see? I want his face. Actually, I really want that scene in um, the notebook at the end where we end up like dying together. But let's assume that I can't have that ending. I do want Tom to be the last person I see. And so when I had these conflicts, I was like, well, you want your father to approve, but your partner is for the rest of your life. Your partner is literally part of what makes you excited about your future. When you look into the future and see the life that you want, he's a part of that. Now, of course, your parent is too. But the truth is, I'm just going to say it, guys. I'm just going to say it. The truth is, your parents aren't always going to be around. If nature takes its course the way we all hope it does, your parents are going to die before you. Those are just facts. So now, if your parent is going to die before you, I know it's hard, it's hard. But if we know that, why on earth are we making decisions based on their happiness or their approval? Why are you making a decision? I can't even put my hand down because this is so strong. Like, why on earth are you making a decision based on somebody else's approval who's not going to be there for you for in the rest of your life? Once I was able to break it down like that, once I was able to see it for the facts of what it actually was, I was able to still say to my dad, I love you. I respect you. I'm sad you don't approve. That doesn't change how much I love you or respect you, that I'm not going to listen to you. I'm still going to marry Tom. And while I hope that you come on board, he is my future and I love him. Now, 20 years later, married for 20 years, hopefully I think we've proven the fact that me and Tom can actually last. But that isn't even the part to focus on because the truth is you may end up splitting up. You may end up getting a divorce with everything I've just said. Now flash forward three years and you've done everything like, oh my God, Lisa, thank you so much. I actually was able to say that to my parents. I was actually to, like, able to go into the relationship with the person of my dreams. But then we got divorced after three years. So everything that I just said here, where I was like, this is the person you're going to die with and your family actually is going to die before you. All of everything that I just said doesn't come into fruition. And you have to actually take that as truth as well. 
That the fact is, is that your partner may die before your parents or die before you. Again, I hate to say it, but I'm just a freaking realist, guys. I don't beat myself up over it, but I am. So that could happen. They could cheat on you. You could leave them. You could, um, God, there's a million other reasons why you would split up. But just imagine one of those things happen. And now you've gone against your your parents' approval. Does that mean you should have listened to them in the first place? Hells no. Hells no, guys. You have learned. You have gone into it with no regrets. You can now at least know. You at least don't have the what if. Oh my God. Honestly, you want to know what scares me more than freaking spiders and I have arachnophobia is the what if. What if I had done that? What if? You won't have to worry, right? You know, I gave it a shot. I went after my heart. Now, okay, my parents disapproved. Maybe they want something I should have listened to. What did they have to say? So with my dad's disapproval, just to be very transparent, my dad's disapproval was, well, first of all, he's not financially secure, so he can't support you. I basically said, I don't give a shit. That doesn't bother me. And then second of all, um, he's not Greek Orthodox. And so my dad said, you know, look, when you're Greek Orthodox, how are you going to christen your kid? You know, you speak Greek. Your, your husband won't speak Greek. Like all these things, he's like cult, different cultures. They never work. They always end up clashing. So in that moment of hearing my dad's disapproval, I actually used it. In fact, I used it as the tool to go, oh, okay, this is why he disapproves. He actually thinks that our cultures aren't going to work. I don't know. I've never been, I've never been married to an American guy before, so I have no idea. I was 21 years old. So I was like, okay, maybe he might actually be right. Maybe there's some truth to this. So that actually helped me and Tom have the conversation about how we were going to bring up our kids. So I took my dad's concern. I then actually took it as truth. I addressed it with Tom and I said, what if this is true? How are we going to bring up our kids? Are are you willing to get christened Greek Orthodox? Because I want to get married in a Greek church. And so we just went over one by one by one. And now I was actually able to take my dad's disapproval and actually use it as a great tool to actually end up having a successful relationship with my husband. Now, I'm not saying all relationships are like that, but that is why, guys, you cannot let a disapproval of someone in your life. Again, I'm just going to say I've used the example of my dad and my partner, but it could be a partner that disapproves. It could be a friend that disapproves, a work colleague, a boss. It could be so a stranger. Oh, my God. How many times have you seen a stranger disapprove of something you do? I can't believe they're doing that. I get those looks. <gasps> but how do you show up when someone disapproves of you is down to you. Homie, keep watching so you can see the six nice girl habits I had to freaking break to stop people pleasing for good. Here are the top freaking habits we as women need to stop doing. Let's get into it. Stop saying yes to everyone. Guys, we all have a freaking habit. We want to be liked. We really, really do. And so when someone comes to you and asks you either for a favor or for you to go somewhere, God forbid we say no. And God forbid they then don't like us because we've said no. So what ends up happening is that three-letter word just keeps coming out of our mouths. We keep saying yes to things that we actually don't want to do. We keep saying yes to things that actually we really, really don't want to do. We keep saying yes to things that actually don't serve us. We keep saying yes to things that we actually dread. So how on earth do we start practicing the beautiful two-letter word no? 
sometimes that two-letter word is so freaking difficult for us to say. So what we do is we inadvertently just head to yes without even meaning to. So step number one in this process, guys, is to just make sure you don't say yes. Like literally that is where I had to start with because I couldn't even bring myself to saying no. So my first step in order to stop saying yes was to actually give myself a quick caveat on being able to take time to think about it. So what I want you to do right now, guys, is write a phrase that feels really good to you, that gives you time to process what your answer should be. So whether it's someone coming up to you saying, hey, do you want to come to this thing that you really don't want to go to? Or do you mind doing this thing that you really don't want to do? What is that safe response that makes you feel good about yourself that you can say in those moments that gives you some distance between when you used to say yes and where you are now and wanting to say no? What is that phrase? So for instance, here are a couple that you can use. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Super sweet, super short, gives you the caveat to basically get back to them so that you don't have to, in real time, feel petrified about saying the word no. You can even add and throw in some words like, you know what, I would love to, but let me get back to you. Or that sounds fantastic, but let me get back to you. Those types of little caveats that you can actually put before that other sentence, then at least for me, someone who felt like a complete chicken that couldn't just jump from a straight yes to going into a no, I needed those little things to be able to say. But write down what are the ones that fit well and seem right for you just to give you that space. Okay, now that you've been given that space, then you can actually process if you should be saying yes to this thing. Now, look, I'm not actually saying you should always just say no to something if it doesn't feel right. Sometimes you're going to sacrifice. Sometimes it's the right thing to do. The right thing as in what I believe is the right thing. So let's say, for instance, um, can I take someone to a doctor's appointment? I don't actually want to go to the doctor's appointment, but sometimes I would rather say yes to a family member because they feel supported than say no and actually save myself the time. So it's important to sit back in this moment and actually assess. I'm not saying say blindly no to everything. I'm just saying don't say yes because out of fear of saying no. So now you've taken this scenario. You've given yourself the space to process whether you should be saying yes to it or whether you should be saying no to it. And when I say the word should, guys, I really mean is what feels right to you. How do you process what your answer needs to be? Now, one thing that I may, I'm going to drop in, just a little drop here right now, is that I would consider if you're saying yes, is it out of obligation? If you're saying yes, is it because you're worried you won't be liked? All of these little things are going to be really freaking important. So I'm going to give you a perfect example. I kept getting hit up so much about doing things on Saturdays or doing things on Sundays where there'd be exciting events, there'd be birthday parties, there'd be these big grand events where my friends are speaking, there'd be these travel opportunities and so many things were just coming my way. And I really wanted to say yes to everything. Why? Because I want to be there. I want to show up for people. But in these moments of me always saying yes, it started to become extremely detrimental to my to my self-care. My gut, my health really started to deteriorate because I was giving up all of my self-care time to saying yes to other people. So what I started to do is I started to distance myself between the time that someone would ask me and saying yes 
So I realized I was really giving up so much of my self-care. So I created this strategy where I put a space in between someone asking me something and me responding so that I could step back and take that situation and ask myself, is this one of these moments where I need to put myself first? Because if I don't put myself first, can I actually show up for this person? And in those, in that time, in that space, it really allowed me to just look at the situation with no emotion, without no pressure of having to say yes to other people. And then saying, right now, what is more important? Taking care of myself or being there for them? And then I can just do that with clarity. And if it was taking care of myself, guys, even in my response back to them, I would do it with grace. I would say to them, thank you so much for the invite, but it actually turns out that I'm taking this time for myself because I'm really tired. Or you know what? I'm really worn out this week and actually I'm going to take this time to really show up for myself, but I hope you have a blast. Let me know what it's like and send me some photos. That is how you don't just instinctually say yes to things and then regret them after. That is how you don't instinctually say yes to things because you just want to be liked. That is how you actually take a question, assess it and see what is right for you. People pleasing. That's right. How many of us live our lives every day looking to people please? We want to feel good about ourselves. And so what do we do? We actually seek external validation. And it's the external validation where people are happy with you that make us stay exactly where we are. In fact, I'm going to give you a real world example. I was a traditional housewife. I cooked and I cleaned for my husband on the daily. And so I actually had the identity of being a good Greek wife. Now, my dad gave me accolades for it. My mom gave me accolades for it. My husband gave me accolades for being a good Greek wife. And so now, any idea, any thought of changing my life in not being that good Greek wife and wanting to try something different, I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed because I was so attached. My validation came from people pleasing. My validation came from making other people happy. Their happiness gave me the pat on the back. And so here I was so worried about letting that go that I actually didn't make any change in my life. So guys, when it comes to people pleasing, it is imperative that we just acknowledge how detrimental it can actually be to the life that we want, to the dream that we want to create, to the person we want to become. It is so detrimental that we must, must, must stop people pleasing. All right, so let me give you a real world example of how I navigated getting out of having the identity of people pleasing. I was a very good traditional Greek wife. Like I said, I would cook, I would clean for my husband. To the point, guys, he would wake up in the morning and his work clothes were next to him. He would put them on, he would go to the gym, he would come back, his clean clothes were waiting by the shower. He would go to work, I would hand him a lunch bag. He would come back, his dinner was waiting for him. I was so attached to pleasing the people around me, to being the good, amazing Greek wife, that for eight years, guys, I freaking hated it. For eight years, I completely dismissed the fact that I was profoundly unhappy. 
all because I was so worried about not pleasing people. I worried where the hell I would get all the accolades and pats on the back from. Where the hell would I get my self-esteem from if I changed my identity of being a good Greek wife? But what I realized was after eight years of people pleasing, I realized that it wasn't going to change. Nothing was going to change unless I took the action. It was all on me to make the change, to stop people pleasing. So how the hell do you do this? Now, I am not saying go in there and say, screw you all, I don't care. I don't care if I make you happy or not, I'm gonna do me. No, 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 I'm not suggesting that because let's face it guys, things like that actually just become dismissive. And if you're trying to keep the wonderful relationship you have with the people that you were trying to please in the first place, because I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that you are pleasing them because you care about them. Maybe that is a misconception, but let's just go down this path because at least that is how I got trapped. I really did want to please them. But it became my own trap. It became the velvet handcuffs that I put on myself and I chose to freaking throw away the key. So now how do we unwind that? First step is acknowledging your actions. So actually, I would say right now is write down the thing that you are doing that doesn't align with what you want. So I'm going to use identity as a perfect example because that was where I was. So my identity was being the good Greek wife. I was doing that so that I could please people. Did it please people? Hell yes. What were the accolades I were getting? All the pats on the back of being, of having this identity. Okay, great. Now I just have to acknowledge to the people close to me that actually this whole time, it hasn't made me happy. So what I did is I actually grabbed my husband and over time I realized I hate cooking for him. I hate cleaning for him. But that doesn't have any reflection of how I feel about him. So I sat him down. So take the person that you love, the person that you're trying to please, sit them down and just give them the grace that maybe they don't realize that your actions have actually been detrimental to your happiness. So that's where I just started. I just said to my husband this whole time, I've been cooking and cleaning for you. Babe, I love you so much. Say your feelings. I love you so much. But for the last eight years, I have been cooking for you and cleaning for you and I've been utterly miserable. Now, this is on me, babe. I haven't vocalized the fact that this wasn't something that I wanted. I haven't told you how profoundly unhappy this has made me. But because I love you and because we have such an amazing relationship, I want to be really honest about where my actions have led me. And right now, in me trying to be the perfect wife and make you happy has led me to being profoundly unhappy. So I was just honest. I was transparent. I didn't say it was their fault. It was my actions. But I very much addressed that this was a problem. Okay, now the next step is I told my husband the actions I was going to change. Because when you go from being a people pleaser and you want to change that into being the person that is proud of yourself, where you show up and please yourself first, that is going to cause maybe some friction because your actions are going to change. And so people are going to see your actions and they're going to push back. So for me, the best way in navigating not being a people pleaser anymore was being very transparent over my actions and how they were going to change. So I sat my husband down and I told him I was profoundly unhappy. 
I told him how I felt about him, that my actions had no, um, had no attachment to how I feel, felt about him. So I just told him with utter transparency and compassion and, um, you know, like he was my partner in crime and I was just telling him the truth about how I was feeling. And I said, honestly, babe, putting clothes out for you is like sucking my soul dry. This has nothing to do with you, but it's just me. It's not fulfilling anymore. And so I really don't want to put your clothes out. I really don't want to cook for you anymore. But how can I support you as we make this transition? That was the other, that, that's the last piece, guys is giving this person that you're, you were people pleasing because you care about them. You're now making these changes in your relationship with them. But what are the things that you can do together so that they feel like you're not just saying, well, screw you now. I don't care about you and I don't want to please you anymore. And I'm going to go do me. That isn't respectful, especially, especially when it's your partner or a parent or something like that. So I just brought my husband along with me on the journey. And so I said to him, right now, there's going to be a transition phase where you're so used to me doing this all day, every day. And so as we start to change, as my actions start to change, I want to articulate them to you so that we can work through it together. So right now, I cook and clean for you seven days a week. Next week, I'm going to do it six days a week, babe. And then the week after that, I'm going to do it five days a week. And then I'm going to do it four days a week. How do you feel about that? And he just turned around and he said, of course, babe, if not having clean underwear or not having clean dishes is is what it takes to make you happy, then of course, what kind of husband would I be if I put my clean underwear before your happiness? But that didn't mean that the transition was going to be easy. It meant that we had to come together. We had to talk about what that was going to look like. And then we had to navigate the changes in my actions together. So guys, I went for being this person who was people pleasing and completely ignoring what I wanted and what was important to me to then navigating it beautifully with the person that I was trying to people please and having them as my teammate and help me get out of the habitual pattern that I was in where I was neglecting myself. I know that was a lot, guys. But trust me, as you're navigating, going from being a people pleaser, letting go of this freaking habit that doesn't serve you, and transitioning into being the person you really want to be and creating healthy habits that does serve you, that, my friends, is exactly how you show up and change the narrative about you being a people pleaser, about you just being a nice scout and showing up and being the freaking badass where you are the hero of your own life. Us nice girls often do what our parents want or what our family expects of us. How many of us have done that only to end up living a life where we're freaking miserable? Or we're living a life that we don't feel like is our own. We're living our parents' life. We're living the thing, their dream. And then we realize maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20 years, we realize, oh my God, we've been doing all of this just to do it for our parents. We've been doing all of this just to make our parents or our family happy. And actually, this isn't the life I want. I'm going to give you a real world example, guys, of how I freaking navigated the expectation of my parents. 
So, number one, my dad, he didn't want me to study filmmaking. I wanted to be this filmmaker. I had these big lofty dreams that I was going to come to America and I was going to go and make movies and win an Academy Award. That was my narrative. That was the thing that I was going, I was saying when I was a kid over and over and over again. So when it came to me actually applying for my degree, my dad, very traditional Greek, who didn't see movie making as a way of actually making money. He had a very old school mentality that you had to study science, math, you had to become a lawyer or a doctor in order to be able to provide for yourself until, of course, you got married. Then you don't have to provide for yourself. Then your partner can actually provide for you. That was the thinking. So when it comes to me wanting to be a movie maker, my dad just looked at me like I was not. He's like, no, it needs to be like journalism. There's actually, it's a credible profession. No, that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to make movies. But the pressure of having to do something that was perceived, perceived as being the right thing. I like joke. It's like, you know how like keeping up with the Joneses for the Greeks? It's like keeping up with the Jonesanopolises. That was how my family was. So if I wasn't doing anything that was quote unquote prestigious, like math or science or anything like that, it wasn't greeted with open arms. So guys, for two freaking weeks, I started arguing with my dad about what on earth I should study. And we were going back and forth and I was so heartbroken. And in the end, in the end, after two weeks of arguing, my dad actually ended up relinquishing and said, you know what? It's fine. Study whatever you like. You're going to be a stay-at-home wife anyway. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Now guys, before you go in horror about what my dad just said, My dad is a traditional Greek man. He was brought up with a certain beliefs. He comes from a tiny ass village in the mountains of freaking Cyprus where no woman ever got an education. My grandmother learned to, um, learned to read by actually teaching herself by reading the Bible. So just to give you a perspective of where my dad comes from. So his belief system of what he thought I should be doing echoed into what he was saying to me, which was, Hey, you either study something super prestigious or doesn't really matter because you're going to be a stay-at-home wife anyway. For two weeks, I was battling my dad's expectations. I was battling both sides of it. Because even when he said, we're going to be a stay-at-home wife anyway, that, that wasn't what I wanted. Even when he said that, I was like, oh my God, we went from one high expectation over here, not even high, but one expectation that I didn't want to fulfill of being, you know, into journalism or math or, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer to overhear to the expectation that I was going to be a stay-at-home wife. Neither one sat well with me. So how on earth did I make sure I didn't get stuck? Because so many of us waste so many years studying something, biochemistry, whatever, only to realize as soon as we're done, we freaking hate it. And actually, we want to be a stand-up comic. And the only reason why we said yes to that freaking degree was to make our parents happy sound familiar. So how I handled it was with utter grace that my dad and my mum have opinions too, that they have a certain belief system of where they come from. I didn't judge them for it. I just accept it. But accepting it really does allow you to take what they say with a pinch of salt. I'm going to be honest, with a pinch of salt. Because I used to, without seeing it from my dad's perspective, I used to just take my dad and my mum's word for fact. How many of you do that? Or how many of you have done that? 
where you've taken someone that is you perceive to be wiser, more experienced than you, and you take it as fact. But what if instead of taking it as fact, you pivot that and you say, actually, this is just their perspective based on their belief system of where they come from. Now, if you can put your perspective into that, maybe now, at least it did for me, it allowed me to take their opinion and not just put it upon myself as I meant to be. I took their opinion as just that, their opinion. And once I was able to see it like that and divorce my emotion with wanting to please my parents, the emotion of wanting to do what my parents expected of me, once I was able to divorce my emotions from that, I could actually just ask myself, does this feel right to me? And when I came up with the answer, which was no, then I could just have that honest conversation with them with respect and say, I hear you. I understand why you want me to do it. But it is my life. I love you. But it is my life. Now, look, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to respond with grace. It doesn't mean they're going to be like, oh, okay, great. It's your life. Do what you want. No, no, I'm not saying that. I just mean that when you're doing any of this, how on earth do you keep showing up with authenticity? How do you keep showing up to stop being that nice girl that everyone expects and be the freaking badass that wants to live her life for her? This is how is that you give the grace, you give the honesty, you give the openness that you've heard them and that you understand them. But with grace, that isn't the path you're going to take. And that is exactly what I did. That is exactly what I did when my dad told me that he didn't want me to marry my husband. When Tom went and proposed, my dad, who's Greek Orthodox, saw Tom, who was not Greek Orthodox, his belief system said, I've never seen a Greek Orthodox and a non-Greek Orthodox work out. So, of course, your, your relationship's going to be disaster. That's where he went straight to. Now, the truth was, that was his perspective. I understood that. I saw that. I gave the, him the grace that that was going to be his perspective. But then I asked myself, whose life are you living, Lisa? Are you living your life for your dad? Because if you are, you shouldn't marry Tom because he's just told you not to. But if you're living your life, if you know as heartbreaking as it is, guys, if nature takes its course correctly, my dad passes away before me. Fuck, I get that. That's hard to say out loud. But it's the fucking truth. I'm just going to say it. It's the goddamn bloody truth. If nature is accurate and takes its natural path, your parents will absolutely pass before you. So don't wait to then start realizing this is your life. Start living it now because it is just that. It is your freaking life. And don't let anyone else's expectations dictate how you show up. As cliche as it freaking is, when I was a kid, there was a guy who patted my sister on the head and said, little girls should only speak when spoken to. I'm sorry? I'm sorry? That's what we're freaking taught as little girls, to only speak when spoken to? No wonder, guys, we are here as adults wondering how the hell we keep showing up to do things for other people and we keep letting people walk all over us. 
No wonder, because we're told subliminally over and over and over again that as women, we should never rustle any feathers. That as women, we should never go against the grain. We're taught that. But now here's the thing. I don't beat myself up for the things that we're taught. I just go, does it serve us right now? And if the answer is no, then freaking we need to stop it. So guys, I'm going to ask you right now, does letting people walk over you serve you or not? If you can say not, now you've just made the decision. Okay, this doesn't serve me. That's the first key, is making sure you don't let people's opinions dictate how you show up. So great, you've now established, no, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't serve me. So I am next time going to stand up for myself. All right, you've made the declaration. Now, how the hell do you actually do it? So my first tactic when I started on this path of trying not to let people walk all over me was to be aggressive. And so I really did find it very difficult. And so I went in like freaking Tony Soprano, like, I'm going to make sure you don't step all over me. And I just became aggressive. Now, let's face it. When someone comes, comes at you with pure aggression, what do you do? You put up your walls. You resist. So no wonder, as I was trying to, um, to create this new habit, no wonder people were resisting. So I realized, okay, that isn't the, the best strategy. So here's a real story from my own evolution of trying to actually stop letting people walk all over me. So I'm just going to carry up by saying, guys, I was the one that created this problem. This isn't like, oh my God, other people are coming at you. No, 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 no. I created the problem myself. So it was early days of Quest and I was a nurturer. I'd been the stay-at-home wife for eight years. So I was very naturally um, inclined to someone walks in the room. Oh, can I get you tea? Can I get you a coffee, cup of coffee? How can I get, you know, like, what can I do for you? And so as Quest was growing more and more and I started stepping into being a businesswoman, this like offer of me just like, how can I help? Like, what can I do? I just, I didn't let go of. And so what ended up happening was I would find myself in these big business meetings where there would be multiple businessmen, especially, but also women. And I would walk in there and I'd be like, oh, a cup of tea, cup of coffee. Does anyone want anything? You're hungry, you want a snack? I was creating the problem. I was the one that, I, that did it. And then what ended up happening? What a shock, what a shock that a year into it, all of a sudden I will walk into a business meeting and everyone turned to me and gave me their coffee order. What a shock. Now here's the thing guys, I can't freaking blame anyone. It was all my doing. I set myself up for disaster. I set myself up to let people know that this is what I would accept. To tell people, yeah, I'm the coffee person. I'm the tea person. Now look, there may be nothing wrong with that. The only time it becomes something wrong was is when that you're, you're trying to actually exude a different persona. So over time, over the year of growing the company, where now I started to change my identity, I started to walk in with more confidence. I started to walk in as a businesswoman. And yet, walking in as a businesswoman, where there's a table of a bunch of entrepreneurs, and then all of a sudden people are turning to me for coffee. I started to get frustrated. I started to get annoyed. And originally, I was starting to be like, I can't believe people are treating me like this. I can't believe that I've, built, I've helped build this company into what it is. And I still walk into a room as the freaking lead of the department. And people still ask me for coffee. I'm like, you're really annoyed. 
until I realized it was all my fault. It was all my own doing. So I said, okay, Lisa, this is the most beautiful thing. You've realized that you are the creator of this, which actually means that you can undo it. Now, how do you do that? Again, going back to, so that I'm just not walking into the room like freaking Tony Soprano, because now imagine I walk into the room and everyone's like, or people are like, Lisa, can I, can, can you get a coffee? And I'm like, no, I'm not getting you a coffee. That would, how would that be perceived on their end? I'm like, what the hell, man? What's wrong with Lisa? One minute, she's offering freaking tea. And then the next thing you know, I just ask for a tea and she she's like getting offended by it. Rightly so, they would be confused because I've made the change in my head, but I haven't vocalized the change. I haven't shown up and shown that I have changed. So that's the key, guys. That's where you need to start from. You need to acknowledge within yourself where you're doing the people-pleasing, you need to then acknowledge what the act is that you do that doesn't align with you now. You then need to take that act and express to the people around you why you're no longer going to be doing it. You can say it with calmness. You can actually say it with incredible inspiration. You can be like, I didn't even realize, guys, that all this time I was coming in offering you guys tea, this whole time... I've realized that in doing that, I can actually take that time and I can actually go and learn this. So from now on, I'm not going to be making tea because for the 15 minutes that I was making tea and coffee for everybody, I realized I wasn't actually getting towards my goal. I realized that I wasn't actually building the skill sets that I need to walk towards the thing that I want in life. Whatever, whatever the words you need to use are. But you understand that the vocalization of the changes in your acts is the way that I went from being this freaking person that was just people pleasing, that recognized this didn't serve me, to then changing my actions and being the person you see now who doesn't get asked to make a coffee when I walk in the room. But you better freaking believe I still allow myself the grace on those times that I still want to take care of people. I can walk in and still ask them if they want a tea and coffee, but I don't feel obligated to do it. And I don't feel compelled and the pressure to do it in the worry that maybe someone won't like me if I don't. So that, guys, is how you go from having habits and routines of being a people pleaser, from always showing up over and over again, to just letting people dictate what you should do for them, to then taking ownership, setting the guidelines, and then telling people that when they come to you asking you to make them a cup of tea, you now have the ability to say no with utter grace. Set boundaries. Read yourself your freaking boundary rights because you have every right to have them. You have the right to say no without feeling badly. You have the right not to meet someone else's unreasonable freaking expectations. You have the right to make your needs just as important as those of others. You have the right to set your own priorities and you have the right to act on those priorities. You have the right to renegotiate your boundaries at any freaking time. And you also have the right to an attorney, but homie, I really hope it doesn't come to that. All right, now that you've read yourself your boundary right, hopefully now you really freaking believe in the importance of them. 
Now we're going to actually go down the types of boundaries because this is going to be one of those moments that you need to assess which boundary it is that you need to place. So now let's actually address the type of boundary that you're going to probably consider doing. So number one is your material boundaries. This is a boundary that you set in regards to your possessions. So for instance, if your friend comes and she hasn't got a good reputation of borrowing things and then returning them, she comes and asks you if she can borrow something again. So maybe you have to set a boundary where you say, you can, but you have to actually get the dress washed before you return it. And I need it back by Tuesday because I'm going to a work gig on Wednesday, whatever. So what you've done is you've actually said yes, but you've created boundaries so that you can actually be comfortable in saying yes in the first place. All right, the next thing is physical boundaries. Now, this obviously is very tricky, but for me, even when it came to my relationship with my husband, I just made a non-negotiable physical boundary. And so I just said to my husband, babe, for clarity, this is a physical boundary of mine. You can never lay a physical hand on me in an abusive way. Now, you may say, well, of course, that should we even need to say that, Lisa? That is up to you. But to me, That was something that was very imperative that I told my partner and I literally let him know there's no wiggle room. This isn't a negotiable boundary. This isn't a boundary that maybe you cross sometimes accidentally because we all know that some people accidentally do that. Or this isn't a boundary that you we can like, oh, it's kind of wishy-washy. Maybe sometimes it's going to be here. Maybe it's not. No, no, no. I made it really freaking clear. This boundary is like cemented in concrete. And if you cross it, I'm out the door. And so I just made it very clear that he knew that going into the relationship. 20 years later, he's never once crossed that boundary. But it was imperative for me to set that up from the get-go. All right. Now, mental and emotional boundaries. Guys, these are the mamma jammers. These are the really freaking hard boundaries to set because why? They're emotional. People are going to probably push back when it comes to an emotional boundary. They may try to persuade you. They may try and convince you that the emotion you're feeling isn't quote unquote right or that you shouldn't quote unquote have that boundary. And this is where people are going to try and convince you. But the great news is, with everything that I'm saying, you're going to take time on your own before you set this boundary and really ground yourself in it. Ground yourself in the mental and emotional boundary that you need to set and then express why. So here's a perfect example that I'm going to give that happened with my mum. Now, when I talk about boundaries, I'm just going to caveat by saying everything I say here is assuming that you want to have a beautiful relationship with this person. If it's a boundary that you, where someone is just being disrespectful, being abusive, I am not giving advice on that. That to me becomes a, you cut your ties. I literally will just push that person out of my life because nobody gets to cross that abusive line. So I just want to make that really clear. So now imagine someone is crossing your emotional boundary, but it's someone that you love, someone you really care about, someone you really want to have a relationship with. How the hell do you do it? So I'm going to give you a real world example that happened to me. I was suffering, I still suffer from immense gastric issues. My gut is always in disarray. And so at the beginning, when it was first happening, I tried every ounce of my being to stay mentally strong. 
And so what I had to do is I had to trick myself into not thinking that I was sick. I had to make sure that I had distractions because I noticed that every time I started to think about how sick I was, it actually had a knock-on effect where my health became more and more detrimental. So I knew I have to keep my mental space clear. I have to keep my mental and emotional space strong. But here I was, every time I would speak to my mum, the first thing out of her mouth, every time we would speak on the phone, the very first words were, Hi, how are you? How's your gut? Are you okay? Now look, as a mother, that's very sweet. Obviously, she wants to see how I am. But when I'm desperately trying every single freaking day to show up with just enough strength to get through the day, Just someone reminding me of how sick I was, just somebody asking me with a pity tone to me was just too much. It was just too crippling. And so originally I just tried to ignore it. I tried to like shut my mom down. I tried to sometimes ignore her calls because right now I was actually feeling in moments where I was feeling vulnerable. I was like, okay, just don't take her call just in case she penetrates and you break. But what I realized was that wasn't actually the right way to handle it. And when I say right way, I mean that wasn't having my relationship. It wasn't building my relationship with my mom. If anything, it was actually making it more, it was actually splitting us up. I was less inclined to call her. I was less excited to speak to her. But I knew that I had to set some boundaries here in order for me to keep showing up, in order for me to keep wanting to build this relationship with my mom. But how the hell do you set boundaries with somebody that you love so much and that is only doing something because she cares about you? That was tough. And so I just went in there. Step one is I explained my situation. My mum didn't realise what she was having the knock-on effect. That was on me. I had to vocalise that to her. And so I had to sit her down and take a moment and just say, Mum, I know how much you love me. Because that's the thing. You don't want to go at someone because they think that you're saying that their intentions aren't great. And the second that someone is feeling like you're saying their intentions aren't great, they're going to get defensive again. And so I had to let my mum know, mum, I understand your intentions, your intentions. You want, as my mother, you care about me. And so mum, I totally get that. So expressing their intention, you really, you know what their intention are. But then on the other hand, saying how it is impacting you. And so I just said to my mum, right now, every time we get on the phone and you ask me, how are you? In the pity tone, with the sadness, it is becoming very difficult for me to stay strong. And right now, mum, I need to be around people and I need your support to be strong. So I've used the word support. So I am turning to her. I'm not trying to shut her down. I'm actually engaging her more. I'm telling her the problem I'm trying to overcome. I'm also, sometimes, to be honest, guys, I just admit that maybe I'm just thinking, like, maybe this is an, um, a skill set right now that I don't have. I wish I could be better. I actually wish I could get on the phone right now and you say in that tone and that I was strong enough to actually face this too. I really do wish that I was strong enough, but right now I'm not. And so while I'm trying to get strong, I would love it if you could help me And then you express what helping you actually looks like. So I've just laid out very nuanced, guys. This is super freaking important. I don't just like to give blanket freaking statements. The nuance of how you work through this, the nuance of how you handle these situations are absolutely absolutely going to dictate 
how you show up in your relationship with that person. And I really wanted a wonderful, healthy relationship with my mum. And so bringing her in was my first step. Now, here's the thing. I honestly thought I got this shit down. That worked perfectly. I had this conversation. I went in with a strategy, everything I just told you guys. Oh, my God. My mum said she understood. Like, literally, she's like, okay, darling, I hear you. I understand. Yes. I was like, nailed it. Like, I'm so fucking good at this. Pat on the back. Phone rings and the next day. I pick it up. Hey, mum. Hey, sweetheart, how are you? Am I in a freaking twilight zone? We literally, we literally just had a whole conversation about my mental and emotional boundary, why I was setting it. I felt like I was articulate. I felt like I was calm. She said she understood. And then the next really freaking day, she calls me up and says the same thing. So in that moment, guys, I'm just going to be honest. I wasn't cool, calm and collective. I wasn't the person that I really wished I was. In that moment, I just lost it. And I was like, mom, come on. You're really, like, it's really damaging. And I just like let out all the emotions. And then, of course, what did that do? That just made us come head to head again. So I had to collect myself. I was like, okay, coming at my mom like this isn't going to be great. Collect yourself. And now I was like, mom, please, I'm grasping a freaking straws. Where was the, did you understand what I was trying to communicate? So going back to the conversation, see if maybe there was a miscommunication there that maybe you actually left the, the, the discussion on different pages and you didn't realize it. So that's where I started. Mom, did you understand what I said yesterday? She said, yes, darling. Okay. Did you understand what I was trying to get to? She said, yes, darling. So I was like, okay, mom, where's the disconnect? Right? If you can just take them through it, ask the questions and try and do it without judgment or like putting like, where's the disconnect? Just be like, okay, mom, great. I didn't understand. Okay. Can you just explain to me where the disconnect is? Because I really thought that we were on the same page. And then she just turned around to me and matter of factly, she's like, I just want to ask my daughter how she's feeling. And so now we started at square one. So now I was like, okay, this boundary that I've set hasn't actually computed. So now let's go back. Let's actually keep talking about it because that's the whole point, guys. You're never going to freaking get it right the first time. It's never going to be perfect. But with boundaries, the important thing is, is that you keep showing up for them. Is that you keep rinsing and repeating. You're fine and you rinse and you repeat. And especially when it's someone that you really want to communicate with, you want to be together on that boundary. So I went back to square one. I asked my mum where the miscommunication was. And in that discussion, the heavens opened up and I realized the angels were singing. And I realized that my mum actually had some boundaries herself that I was crossing. And she finally told me by not asking me how I felt, meant that she wasn't a good enough mother. And I had asked her to not ask me, which to her was me crossing her motherly unspoken boundary. Take that in for a second. My boundary, I had zero idea, was crossing her emotional boundary because I had asked her to not ask me how I was. And so I was like, oh my God, mom, are you actually trying to tell me that me telling you to not ask me has crossed your boundary and now you feel like I have dis, um, disrespected you as a mother? Not disrespected, but crossed that line. And she finally admitted yes. And I said, all right, mom, this is the most beautiful thing 
Because when it comes to setting boundaries, when it comes to not just saying yes to everyone, to trying to please everybody, now it comes into play where you've been totally transparent. The person on the other side has been totally transparent. And now you can still show up and navigate these boundaries together and come up with a beautiful way of having a solution where you're both respecting each other's boundaries. And so in this perfect example that I've just laid out right here, right now, me and my mum's beautiful middle ground of where we both set our boundaries and we felt good about them was the fact that I asked her, please don't say it first thing. Like the very first words out of your mouth, I want to be, I want to hear you be cheerful. I want to hear you happy. And then her boundary was that she still has to ask. So I said, great, what if you asked me halfway through the conversation and it's not the first thing? That way I hear your spirit. I hear the happiness. And then the last piece was I just said, mom, if you can just approach it in a positive way instead of a heartbroken, sad way, because tone to me is everything. And once we had that open, incredible, beautiful conversation, We both found this amazing middle ground where we respected each other's boundaries and we came together and now there is zero conflict in mine and my mum's telephone conversations. All right, ladies, we need to stop apologising. And yet, in the same tone, we need to always apologise. Now, okay, okay, before you start screaming at me, go, Lisa, you freaking nuts, what are you talking about? Let me break it down for you. If you forget your homie's birthday, you should bloody call him and apologize. If you told someone you're going to do something and you completely forgot or you fell through or you went to do it and completely messed up, to me, it's totally fine. And going, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I messed up there. I think owning and admitting when you truly are sorry is so beautiful. And at the same time, people, we need to stop freaking apologizing for all the crap that isn't our fault. All the stuff where people expect you to start apologizing. That's when the words start coming out. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Even to the silliest moment where a stranger walks by you, they bump you and you turn around like, I'm sorry. What the hell? Why? Because we want to be nice, right? We're just like, it's the right thing to do, Lisa. It's just the things that come out when we were taught when we were young to just say, I'm sorry. I get it. I get it. This isn't about beating ourselves up over the fact that we are doing that. It's about recognizing it, saying that doesn't serve me, and then pivoting to make sure that we don't keep doing it. Now, why, you may be wondering, why are you saying I'm sorry bad in the first place? Like, well, really, Lisa, what does it matter if I just say I'm sorry all the time? It couldn't hurt, right? It couldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. That's where I am here to say it actually could hurt. Let me just take an example of how powerful words can be. I'll tell you a little story. I was on vacation, standing in line at a buffet, and this woman behind me starts going, oh, how are you? First time here. What do you think of the hotel? Blah, blah, blah. So we start chatting. She asks me what I do. So I start telling her about quest nutrition, impact theory, my show Women of Impact. And then all of a sudden I realize, okay, Lisa, you're talking a lot. You should actually ask her a question. So I was like, oh, what do you do? She turns around and she's like, I'm just a mother. I'm just a mother. Guys, she used the word just in referring to herself who had three children that she was 
homeschooling. And she said, just. What do you think that's doing to her self-esteem? What do you think by using that word just? It's telling her the story in her head. That what she's bringing to the table isn't valuable. That it's like, eh, it's no big deal. That story, just by using the word just, absolutely dictated the way she was talking to me. She kind of just shrugged and was like, eh, it's not a big deal. And I couldn't help myself, but I was like, I'm sorry, homie, but like, oh my God, are you joking? That's such a freaking huge deal. You're, you're literally helping the next generation of people. You're literally helping bring them up. That's amazing. Like, and I, I just called her and I was like, you really shouldn't use the word just. Now, by the time we got to the front of the line, guys, you should have seen the change in her demeanor. Just by removing the word just, she went from not feeling worthy of herself to feeling like a freaking badass that actually was impacting the next generation of humans. So that gives context to why it can be super freaking dangerous to your self-esteem, people, to your self-esteem by saying sorry to the things that aren't your fault. I'm just going to repeat that. It can be detrimental to who you are by saying sorry to the things that aren't your fault or even to the things that you have right, a right to freaking choose. So for instance, it's Friday night. You've been going ham all week at work. You're freaking exhausted. You're shattered. You've been bloody working so hard and you can't wait. You just can't wait to put on your PJs, grab your glass of wine or your joint, whichever one you want, and just freaking veg on the sofa, watch Sex in the City reruns with a tub of ice cream. And then your friend hits you up. Hey, we're all going for dinner. Oh my God, it would be amazing. We really want you to come. Can you come? Because it would really mean a lot to me. Let's just throw in some pressure of the emotion as well. Now, sometimes your instinct, A, may be just just say yes, but we actually address that with saying no. Then your other instinct may be to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I can't come. And let's just stop here for a second. Your friends invited you out. They want you to come. And yet for you, you're so burnt out emotionally, physically, that the only thing that actually feels good for you right now is to reboot by sitting your ass on that freaking sofa and vegging out. But you're saying you're sorry. Now, maybe you don't want to let them down. Okay, cool. That's very understandable. But when you say you're sorry for choosing self-care ahead of anything else, what do you think that subliminal message is saying to you. Remember, take that woman that said the word just. The subliminal message that you're giving yourself time and time and time again when you are saying you're sorry for putting yourself first. It is telling you, you are telling yourself that you are not worthy of taking care of yourself. You are telling yourself that it is a bad thing. It is actually a bad thing that you have chosen to put yourself first. So, guys, sometimes you just got to ditch the word sorry. Sometimes you absolutely can still say no. So sometimes you just got to ditch the phrase, I'm sorry. And if they are close friends of yours in this situation, then you'd like to think they actually care about your self-care. 
And so here are a couple of examples, guys. In real time, I want you to actually write down, get out your pen and paper right now, and I want you to write these things down right now so that when an occasion comes, you could go to your cheat sheet and you can look, and instead of saying sorry, you're going to say the equivalent. All right, are you ready? Let's do this. So instead of saying, I'm so sorry I can't come, say, I'm not available, but thanks for the invite. I know it's going to be a blast. Instead of saying, I'm so sorry, could you do me a favor? Say, I'd really appreciate your help with this. Instead of saying, I'm sorry I bothered you, say, thanks for listening. Instead of saying, I'm so sorry I don't understand, say, could you explain that last part again? And one that I struggled with a lot was, I'm so sorry, but this isn't what I ordered. And now I say, excuse me, I ordered steak and this is a bowl of lettuce. So, Guys, those are real examples of how you take phrases. You are still saying the same sentiment, but you're eliminating the word sorry. You are eliminating that subliminal message that you're giving yourself that what you have decided to do or what you need is wrong. By eliminating the five-letter word sorry has allowed you to eliminate that negative subliminal messaging. If you want to know exactly how to respond when someone disrespects you, click here. Feel the pain. Be able to say, moving forward, if a person treats me in a way that is similar to what I just experienced, because...